0: So I'm really excited about tonight. We are uh, jumping. We're going to get into chapter 12, which uh, from the beginning, uh, well, not from the beginning, but from right about uh, chapter three at the fall, uh, I've been explaining that we're on this this overarching story of the trajectory of humanity that starts at the fall. And through this story, the common theme is this downward spiral of humanity. And I was... Uh, reminding us or letting everyone know that when we get to chapter 12, there's going to be this shift. And so it's almost like this, uh, I remember describing it as like this cinematic movement to where a movie starts and it's like explosions and just big stuff, big picture stuff. So we're in Genesis and it's big picture, it's universe, it's it's creation. It's like the beginning, it's the Genesis of everything, big, 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 and everything. Uh, We have a lot packed into just what we've done so far is one through the first half of chapter 11. And we've done, I mean, creation and then Cain and Abel. Then we go through those genealogies. And then we went through, we have uh, the flood and the Tower of Babel, which we did recently. So there's a lot, just this framework that's setting up really the rest of scripture, which I'm really glad that we started in Genesis. But it's all gonna, it's all happening. And all of a sudden It's going to go from this big, wide view to, and it's going to come down to one man. And we're going to really begin to see, although there's been some foreshadowing through Genesis and the language and the literary design, we're going to really see a picture of the gospel, which that just makes me really excited to be able to preach that because that is the my, my hope is that every message ends with the hope of the gospel. And so studying uh, chapter 12 really gets us there. So I'm excited to do that. Um, it's been a, it's been a long week, but again, not complaining good. Um, but just busy. And a lot of you actually are, are sharing in that as well. I know because the church move isn't just me, or just Rob, or just Micah, or anybody. It's all of us together. So it's just been crazy. Yeah, and it's going to be wild for a a few months for sure. Um, And as Mike can attest, and I mean, more of you, I just know because I've seen Mike in the office with a pencil and paper. uh, The more you get involved, the more you see, and the more you're like, wow, the bigger the project became. Whereas maybe... You just hear on Sunday morning, oh, we need help moving in, and you have a picture in your head of maybe carrying a few boxes in, and then you, the more you see, the more you realize the workload. Uh, so it's, it's massive, and it's, it's not just the move. That's just one thing that I know we all share, but I found myself this week with Katie multiple times just talking about my calling. And to be totally frank, to be totally transparent and honest, as I think, as I say this, this will probably be very familiar to you guys as well, just questioning my calling, questioning am I, am I, am I doing anything? Is this what I'm supposed to be doing? Is this what I want to do the rest of my life? Is this what my giftings really are? and just start questioning stuff. And you know, it comes, I'm kind of a, I for sure I'm a verbal processor. So I, I kind of like live in my own head for a little while. And then I find somebody, it's typically my wife to confide in, or I find somebody else who I can really trust. And I just kind of, but, and I process with them. And I, a lot of times I figure out my own mind when I put it into words. Um, and so as I was just as I've been talking with my wife and just this reoccurring conversation and, and like odd conversations also have been happening, like random people I'm seeing around town say, say something um, and not bad, but it sparks a thought in my head that just makes me, is this, am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? And just really questioning my calling. And I, I it comes from multiple places. And I think one of them is just difficulty. Just when, the job is hard. You just go, man, is this what I want to be doing for like the rest of my life? Ministry is hard and it's, uh, it's a lot of hours and it's, it's, uh, I have to maintain a, uh, priority of having family time. I can so easily, and my parents did it both, Uh, my dad having a full-time job as a police officer and also basically him and my mom full-time in ministry. I remember as a kid, them sitting us down and repenting and apologizing for putting ministry above family time. And so we, my dad just made hard decisions. Like we are not, I know there's a need here, but I'm not, we're not feeling that. The Lord's going to raise somebody else up to do that. So there's like, there's the difficulty in that. And sometimes it's, so sometimes just the work is hard and sometimes it's just that you're discouraged that you do, you work really hard. And then I think all of us at the same time or I'll speak for myself is that we almost expect like, I'm going to work really hard and it's going to be really, really, really hard. And, but at the end, like we have this utopia picture of what that is going to look like or the, or the reaction of the work that you did. And a lot of times it's not that at all. And it's a lot of work and it's a lot of work that's never seen and never praised. And you, your own flesh is like, has a hard time with that and doing things just for the Lord. Sometimes your flesh isn't satisfied with doing things just for the Lord. It wants recognition. Um, and sometimes for me, it's routine. Uh, my wife knows if I, if I go, uh, I need some routine in my life, but if I go get too routinish, I think because for so long I employed myself as a musician, producer, making my own hours, doing my own thing, being free, um, in the sense of free, not lazy, but free to do work hard when I was going to work hard and like kind of tap into my creative side, that I get into too much of a routine, I start to go crazy. Um, that's actually when surfing really helps me. I just get out in the water. Um, but all these things can pour into questioning my calling. And it's been this week. It's been uh, probably a couple weeks just really having candid conversations with with Katie. And this isn't me like relaying to you guys anything. Like I'm not going anywhere. This isn't like news that all of a sudden you're going to find like whatever. This is just me being open and honest and telling you guys where I'm at. And that ministry can be hard. And what's really awesome is that this study tonight, when we get to 12 or this, this whole study is just going to be calling and the encouragement through calling the, the Lord reaching us. And I mean, it really encouraged me through it. And also uh, it's going to be really real with us. And it's going to some, some things that, I expect, um, or things I have a hard time with, it's not up to the Lord to remedy every issue that I have and for him to adapt to how I work. It's up, I need to adapt to how he works. And sometimes we read his word and we find answers to our discouragement and our questions. And sometimes we read it and we just see the Lord is saying, you just need to change your thinking because this is how this is. And I think I found that in both of these. So as we're gonna uh, we're gonna read Genesis 11, verse 10, all the way through 12, verse 9. So if you need a Bible, does anybody need a Bible? Is Mike? Uh, can you do it? Sorry, Mike is wearing a lot of hats tonight. He's got it. He's right there. Ch-ch-ch-ch-ch. Cool. So you guys, uh, you want to stand with me as we read through this? 11, 10 through 11. Yeah. 11, 10. Yeah. Through twelve, nine. So if you remember, we just came off of the, uh, the tower of Babel and we're going to be We've we've done uh, two genealog- genealogies so far, and we're actually heading into our third tonight. So Genesis is packed. Uh, but here we go: Genesis 11, verse 10. These are the generations of Shem. When Shem was a hundred years old, he fathered Arpachshad. Who Arpachshad uh, two years after the flood, and Shem living after his he fathered Arpachshad five hundred years and had other sons and daughters. When Arpachshad had lived 35 years, he fathered Sheila. And Arpachshad lived after he fathered Sheila 403 years and had other sons and daughters. When Sheila lived 30 years, he fathered Eber. And Sheila lived after he fathered Eber 403 years and had other sons and daughters. When Eber had lived 34 years, he fathered Peleg. And Eber lived after he fathered Peleg or 430 years and had other sons and daughters when Peleg had lived 30 years, he fathered Ryu and Peleg lived after he fathered Ryu 209 years and had other sons and daughters. When Ryu had lived 32 years, he fathered Sareg and Ryu lived after he fathered Sareg 207 years and had other sons and daughters. When Sareg had lifted, had lived 30 years, he'd fathered Nahor and Sareg lived after he fathered Nahor 200 years and had other sons and daughters. When Nahor had lived 29 years, he fathered Tara And Nahor lived after he fathered Terah 119 years and had other sons and daughters. When Terah had lived 70 years, he fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Now, verse 27, these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father, Terah, in the land of his kindred in Ur of Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives, and Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, and the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren, and she had no children. Verse 31, Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the sons of Haran, and his grandsons, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, his, sons, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to, into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of terror were 205 years and Terah died in Haran. Chapter 12, uh, the call of Abraham or Abram. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you. I will curse and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran, and Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the uh, the Canaanites were in the land, and the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring, I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he moved to the hill country of the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on on still going toward Negev. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the, your word, and Lord, we trust that just that, just reading your word, that your word is living and active, Lord, that it's profitable for us, and there needs to be nothing else, Lord, that this is beneficial, us reading your word, and Lord, it's increasing our faith, it's revealing to us who you are, and Lord, uh, I, we thank you for even these genealogies that maybe we... We glance over, Lord, we thank you for your word. We know that all of it is true and all of it is from you. It's, the, it's your word and therefore it is the most important thing that we have. Lord, uh, Spirit, help me tonight to unpack this. Help us all to hear, have uh, soft hearts, be good soil. Lord, that we would be encouraged in the work that Christ did, that our eyes would look to Christ as the hero in life, that he is our only hope. And Lord, as we, uh, realize this, the, the power of the gospel, as it renews us, it would also renew our, uh, vigor, Lord, to share this gospel as it was freely given to us, that we would go into this next week with a fire in us to share this good news for others. Uh, We love you and praise you in Jesus name. Amen. Go to have a seat. So in, um, at the beginning of this Genesis study, one of the other things I said is that we often divide up. when we read these Bible stories, we kind of uh, view them as movies, which have these clear protagonists and antagonists, and that we view Bible stories in the same way. is that there's the villain. And then there's the good guy, there's the bad people and there's the good people. And we have, we have Cain, we have the bad guy, and then we have Abel, the good guy. And we, we go through these stories with um, this very black and white view of the Bible that they are these children's stories that are boiled down to this guy is good and this guy is bad. And really, if we look at life and we look at our own lives, it's much more gray at any given time, you could see me and be like, good guy. And at another given time, you could see me and be like, bad guy. And think yeah, an, in between. And so we're studying real people. And a, a theme through this, if you guys remember with Noah, uh, I tried to make the case and make the point that we can't look to Noah as this perfectly moral person. And he is the reason why God saved him. His morality was a reason, but it was that his faith in him believing the Lord, that was his righteousness. And so the same way that Noah is saved, Noah was saved is the same way that we are saved. It's, it's trusting in the Lord is having faith in him. And so as we read through scripture, we do have that. We, we tend to have this black and white picture. Now what's interesting here and and really the genealogy, we're not going to spend a lot of time in the genealogy as we have the previous genealogies, but it really helps us in in setting the stage for what I believe uh, chapter 12 is telling us is that we have this, um, we had the fall and then remember we had Seth and Seth was this glimmer of hope. Seth was going to be this line that we would see would be the line of Christ. And there was this glimmer of hope that like, uh, if I could use this example of viewing things as very black and white is you had Cain, bad guy, pure, bad, Abel, purely good guy. And the good guy died. And so it's, it's painting this picture for us. And then Seth comes along and there's this glimmer of hope of, oh, there'll be, There's good people. And he was, it was, it says that in that time, men began to call upon the name of the Lord. So it's good. And if you remember, if you were here during that study, uh, not downplaying that, it's it's important to, we are to call upon the name of the Lord. And it's important that we pass that down through generations, that we reflect that, that we image God to our culture around us, that we pass that down. But in our own strength, we're going to see here, what is happening? We're going to see the dead end. Um, Terra is living in Ur. And Ur was, uh, it's modern day Iraq. And it was the place, um, the central location of the worship of the lunar gods or the moon god. And the moon god was the greatest god. And so here we see. The family, this chosen family, this line that was all our hope was in, which again, if we put our hope in these, uh, these, these other men, their morality or their goodness, we're putting our hope in, in sand. We're putting our hope in something very, very, very thin. And so we see in, in here, we're going to see these two dead ends that the author is pointing out that even the best people come to this dead end in themselves and God has to be the mediator. So we see that Terah is, he's worshiping um, idols. He's worshiping gods. Turn to to uh, Joshua 24. We're going to read quickly verses one through three, just so you can see this, because it's this actually spelled out. And we're seeing this glimmer of hope uh, kind of squashed. Before our eyes, Joshua twenty four, uh, one through three, Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders, the heads of the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, "Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel: Long ago, your fathers lived behind, lived beyond the Euphrates. Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, and they served other gods." So he's speaking of in this land of Ur. These chosen people were living the exact same way their culture was. In Ur, they are worshiping the moon god, and Terra is. Um, there's debate on whether Abraham is or is not, but either way, you're seeing this chosen line going right along with culture. They're not. They're, it's not this counterculture, but they're falling right back into uh, the same thing that we saw with Noah is we're falling into this, this culture over and over again. We're not creating a culture. We're not a counterculture. It's not a contrast culture. But forgetting the Lord, as you've, um, we've been talking through Genesis, is how quickly we forget the Lord, how quickly we forget the one true God, and we start just creating idols, whatever it may be. And so this glimmer of hope spiritually is flickering out. This candle is, is dying. And then to add to it, what the author is also saying in here is uh, with Sarah is that she was barren without child. It's also physically. So this line is running towards this cliff. This line is running towards this dead end of spiritually. They're forgetting these chosen these The chosen ones, the glimmer, the glimmer of hope is forgetting. They can't do it on their own works. They're forgetting who the Lord is. And also not only will the Lord need to intervene because in our own works, we just can't do it. But then to compound it is that this chosen line. Also, it's going to be the end of the line. Sarah can't have kids. So this is humanity coming to the cliff. That's the the picture being painted here. The point with us here is that The call of God is our only hope and our hope is the call of God. And that, that sounds redundant, but let me explain it in our own works. We're merely running towards the edge of that cliff. Just as we see the example here, our morality will not save us. Our education will never save us. Our financial status will never save us. Um, Our popularity will never save us. The only thing that will save us is the call of God coming into our lives and calling us out. And so I think uh, all of Christianity falls on some spectrum of one, you feel like you have to earn the Lord's love. You have to earn his approval and you have to earn your way. And to you, I'd say the gospel is true and effective, and you don't need to do another thing. The Lord loves you the way you are, and he's done all the work. Christian, rest. You don't have to do it. He loves you, period. And I'm not worried. As I say that, I really mean period. I'm not worried about whether or not you're going to continue in sin so that grace may abound. Paul addressed that. The gospel begins and ends that the Lord did the work and you don't need to do anything else. It's done. He loves you. Period. Now we go to the other side of the spectrum and it's the one who's not worthy. The one who I can't be called because I'm so, so bad. And for that person, our hope is the call of God it's that we are, we are qualified we are not called, uh, how do I say this? We are called not because we're qualified. We are qualified because we are called. We didn't get ourselves to a place to where then the Lord says, ah, now they're qualified for me to use them and redeem them and bring them in part of my framework. He says, I'm calling you. And because I called you, you are now qualified to be a part of this framework, to to be a part of this story that I'm telling. And so whether you are trying to work, 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 and get yourself there, or you're completely discouraged in that I'm so bad, there's nothing I can ever do. The call is the same. The call of God is our hope and it's our only hope. My works are not my hope. Your works are not your hope, but also know that your hope is the call of God and that you don't have to, you're not too wicked. You're looking at a family here that was not perfect. And again, emphasizing that Noah was not perfect. These men of the scripture are not perfect men. And I think we so often, I know I do so often, just keep falling into that. I keep falling into that. These guys are, they're a cut above the rest. They were just really the moral ones the call of God qualified them. They never qualified themselves. And we have to process that. It's really, the, it's really the story of the gospel. And that's why the gospel is not a moment in time thing. The gospel is not, did you hear the gospel? Did you raise your hand? And did you pray a prayer? But the gospel is for daily digestion because it reminds us. That we can never pay our sin, but that Christ came and he did it. And therefore the gospel tells us that this is something that was a free gift to us. And if we didn't earn it, then we can't be the ones who are going to lose it. We're not dictating it, but it's us operating freely in the call that the Lord has given to us that we accept through faith, that we believe in his call. Turn with me to Romans, uh, Romans four. So I can just back up the things I said and Let scripture speak for itself. Romans four, one through three. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. This here, uh, four, one through three is actually Paul quoting uh, Genesis 14, 6, which will we'll be in a few weeks. Uh, God was showing Abram. Side note, Abram and Abraham is the same person. Sarai and Sarah are the same person. So if I mix those names up, I don't mean to be switching back and forth, but they're the same person. So when God was showing Abram the stars and saying, these are going to be your descendants before he had any, it says then that Abraham. Abram believed the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness. It's nothing he was doing. Abraham couldn't do that. They weren't, they couldn't have kids. So it's the Lord saying, I'm going to do this. And Abram said, I believe you, let's go. And that was faith. And then the Lord did it. And Abram was part of that framework. was part of that story that he was telling. Also in Galatians 3, 10 and 11, um, you can turn there. I'll just read it for you. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse for it is written cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law for the righteous shall live by faith. So the same thing here is that we the law is the schoolmaster that points us to to Christ, right? It it teaches us that we cannot we can't fulfill the law. There's no none perfect, no not one, and so it leads us to Christ. That we need Christ. We we the the law should make us hungry for Christ, because we realize how what we can't do. We realize our shortcoming, and that's the beginning of the gospel message. message right, is that the gospel begins when we realize our debt? The gospel begins when we realize how inadequate we are. The gospel begins when we realize how weak we are, and then the Lord comes in and says. Now I'm going to show how strong I am. It makes us hungry for the Messiah. But when we feel like we have strengths, when we feel like, again, like our education or our prosperity or our talents will save us, we don't see our debt. And then we find ourselves working and working and being a moral people, not to please the Lord, but to earn something, which is not the Lord's intention. So our first point, the call of God is our only hope and our hope is the call of God. Now, I don't know about you guys, you guys probably know this about me because you hear me talk enough, but I, I'm pretty detailed. Like I know when to relax, but I also want to know what's happening and I I like to have a plan. I like to have a general like goal and see a vision and run after it and set tangible goals and, and do that whole thing. And I think that's one of the things that I've even been questioning. Um, turn with me to Acts 7. I want to show you the kind of faith that the Lord is, is building in Abram. So if you remember, I know there's a lot of names and if you're like me, you hear too many weird names and you kind of check out and you kind of just hear like bigger concepts and it's hard to keep all the names straight. Um, So what's happening here is that they are in Ur, right? So in what we just read, chapter 12, it's probably better if I just read it to you again so you have it. So actually chapter 11, verse 31, Terah took Abram, his son and Lot, the sons of Haran, his grandson and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son, Abram's wife. And they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years and Terah died in Haran. Okay. So they're going from, they're in Ur and then they're going to Canaan and they stop in Haran. Got it? So follow that Haran is also the name of his son that died. So don't get confused. So just all these pieces that are moving around. So Ur going to Canaan stop in Haran. Right? So then we get to chapter 12. And if you guys remember in any other genealogies, not everything is chronological. So not everything, uh, is happening back to back to back to back. Sometimes it goes through and then we go back up and we cover what was happening of the genealogy that we just covered. So then we get to chapter twelve. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house and the land that I will show you. So here they're in Haran, right? And he's the Lord is calling Abram to leave Haran and go to Canaan. Now let's go to Acts seven. One through four, or had you turned to. And the high priest said, are these things so? And Stephen said, brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran and said to him, go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after his father died, he removed him from there into the land which you are now living. So Lord has called Abram out of Ur and he's also, then if we go back to Genesis uh, 12, he's called him out of Haran, right? So he's calling him. So if we go back, we see that. So Ur was the place where they worshipped the moon. God, um, Haran was the same. You imag- uh, imagine it that um, Ur was like the Mecca, of worshiping the moon God and um, Haran was just a smaller version of it. And so he's calling Abram out of these places. I'm going to bring you out of this culture and make, he's going to make something special of Abraham and, and we know the end story. So we, we can kind of see, or we definitely can see things From the end, because we know what he's speaking of here. But remember, um, I think with Noah, I was trying to do this: is keep place yourself in these guys' position where, like, we know how long the flood was for Noah, but he didn't know. And and we know when they get off the boat, like, what's going to happen? They get off the boat and the whole earth is empty. Like, realizing they don't have the story in front of them, the amount of faith that is being stretched in, in, following this is insane. So scary. So then here we have Abram who is living in a land where his father, this, this line that was this glimmer of hope, his father is worshiping idols. Um, again, there's debate on whether Abram was engaging in this as well, but we're seeing this humanity, this light flicker out. And, he's calling him out of that to go to Canaan and then they go and they don't get to Canaan. Right? So they, they stop and they're in Haran and Haran, uh, T- Terra dies there. And there's some imagery happening here of Canaan is the promised land. Right? So there's some imagery that's pointing towards the Israelites not entering the promised land because of unbelief. So Terah is, leaving Mesopotamia, leaving Ur to go to Canaan, but is an idolater. And therefore he doesn't get to the promised land. He dies in Haran. So you see in that imagery, that's also pointing forward, but look what happens in, and this is the part that messed with me that at the beginning, I was telling you, sometimes the Lord just says, you need to change your thinking. And it's not really a, he doesn't answer a question, just tells you to fix how you think is in both instances, The Lord says, go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. When we read that, we know the land he's talking about. And sometimes we can impose that go to the land. I will show you. And the land is blah, this, right? He says, get out. I'll show you. I'll show you what to do, but get out. You need to leave. That messes with my brain. And I think that would mess with a lot, a lot of our brains is, all right, you need to move. How am I, how am I going to provide for my family? How am I, this, what is it going to happen? I'll show you. You need to move. You need to do this. You need to do that. And he doesn't spell out. It's again, it's the Lord doesn't have to cater to how our brains work. And he doesn't have to spell out all that he's doing. God's call is not looking for our approval. He's looking for our willingness. He's looking for us just to say, I trust you. Let's go. And you go about it and you're going to find out. And you know what, to be honest, it's probably not. It probably, it is his infinite wisdom that he doesn't share the whole plan with us. Cause probably if he did, we'd freak out and not go. I went on a, I got two surfing buddies that still from high school, love them to death, still surf with them all the time. And we've gone on multiple surfing trips together. And so one year we went to Costa Rica together and uh, one of my buddies went to, we were going to surf the Caribbean side or stay on the Caribbean side. So we landed, he actually had business in Costa Rica. So he went ahead and did business and then I stayed behind and then our other friend landed and he's way more of a surf nut guy like me than our other buddy was. Um, and so he, he's like, I'm going to land. And then we're going to drive all the way to the, at, we're staying on the Pacific side. We're going to drive all the way, like eight hours to the Caribbean side and surf this one really cool break. And then we're going to drive all the way back to the Pacific side up and around before there was this, it was before this major highway that got put in in Costa Rica. And All the way back down. And then we'll, if everything goes according to plan, we'll get there just in time to do an evening surf on the Pacific side. It was like, yes, that sounds awesome. And so, of course, that did not happen. He lands. We're in this tiny little car, stick shift car. I'm driving. um, And we start not long into it, maybe an hour. We're weaving through this mountainous like jungle road cliff, two lane road cliff. There's no side of the road. It's just cliff lane, lane cliff. And so we're driving, driving, driving. And I start to notice, like, I thought maybe I was like holding the clutch in or something, but all of a sudden we lose the transmission. And so we're, we're kind of like rolling. I'm using, it's hilly this way too. So I'm using the hills and I tell my buddy is like, I'll ride these hills as long as we can keep momentum, but dude, we're stuck. And so I get it into first magically. I'm like trying to like gauge the RPMs and I slam it into first and then we get maybe a couple more miles and then we totally lose it. And we're literally just riding these hills and we run out of hills I try to pull over. We're in the middle of the road in this in Costa Rica, no phones, uh, just stuck. And so these local guys see us, they pull over and they start pulling leaves off the trees on the hillside, like they're flares and they like lay them out so that it's directing traffic around us, Uh, totally like flares. And we're just around this corner and coming after we've been there for 15,-20 minutes, um, Just thinking, hopefully somebody comes by with a tow truck, which is eventually what happened. A semi comes around, the road's wet. He comes around that corner, locks up his brakes, jackknifes, and I'm literally standing in the road with our car right here looking at this semi jackknife coming at us and its back end looking like it's going to go off the cliff. Just, he, he, drag knife so hard, like his axle bent. It was insane. So then a guy, uh, Costa Rican guy, nice guy, comes with a tow truck, gets our car uh, on the tow truck. We give him like a hundred bucks. He drives us back. Then we have to go back to budget and turn our car back in. We, we, and they had to come. They actually came and picked us up and me and my buddy fell asleep in the car for like two hours on the side of the road because they, it's whatever. It wasn't a high priority. So we ended up getting to the Pacific side, like at two in the two in the morning and then had a great time. And then our very last day we're out in the water surfing our last surf. There's nobody else in the water, but two locals and I look inside and uh, it's a girl she's waving like this. And so I was like, guys she's waving us in. So we go in and our windows were busted and all of our stuff was gone. So passport, money, credit cards, the whole deal. So then we get in the car, are flying back to our hotel. Like we got to make calls, cancel cards. And then I'm, fl- I'm driving and I'm flying, going so fast. And then there's this police, police officer, Costa Rican police officer on the side of the road. And he, I don't know why, he, if this is custom, but he has his gun in his hand. And he waves his gun like this. I I I don't understand. (laughs) And so I was like, oh, guys, this is not good. Like we have to, hopefully he's just really nice. Like everything just got stolen. Our windows broken, but no IDs, nothing. So I'm so focused on him. I don't realize there's a very elderly lady standing next to him. And so I pull over and she can't speak any English. And he's like, where are you guys going? We're like, we're heading over here he said, she needs to go to the bank the next town over. Can you take her? And literally the car has three seats and there's three of us. (laughs) And so I, I, I'm like at a certain point when stuff gets so off the rails, I just embrace it. And so I was almost like, you couldn't bum me out at that point. And so he says that, and I don't even like ask anybody in the car. And I just like, put her in. So she's this elderly lady is literally sitting in my buddy's lap (laughs) as we drive her to the next town, drop her off. And then we basically, I mean, had a bunch of calls to make and had to get money wired to us so we could eat and whatnot. Um, And it was awesome. It's an awesome memory. But if you were to tell me before going to Costa Rica, before buying a plane ticket and buying a hotel room, like this is what it's going to look like. I'd be like, no, it doesn't sound fun at all. It sounds like a nightmare. It sounds like we're going to lose a lot of money, but it's a really fond memory. It was a really fun adventure. Everything went wrong and we had a blast. And when I surf with my buddies, those times come up. And it's one of those things. It's, it's the Lord's wisdom that he's, we want all the details because we want to be in control. We want to have the wheel. And in his wisdom, he's like, you don't need to know everything. And honestly, you don't want to know everything. It's going to work out and you're going to look back on it and you're going to be encouraged and you're going to enjoy it. And there's going to be hard times. I didn't want to get robbed. I didn't want to have a car break down, but his faithfulness, it's, we'll look back on it and see him working through it and know like, wow, I never would have planned that. I'm so glad I'm not in control, but he's in control. So our point number two is the call of God doesn't seek our approval. It seeks our willingness. He just wants your willingness to follow him, to have faith and trust him. Now, lastly, for our last point, let's go back to chapter 12. Chapter 12 says, Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make for you a great nation. I will bless you and make you a great name so that you will be a blessing. What was the end goal in this verse? Not talking big picture because we know this is pointing to the Messiah. But what was the end goal of this for God to bless Abraham? A great nation. What's the... Yep. Yeah, you're right. You're all right. So I don't want to say you're wrong. Um, I'm even thinking right in this verse, let me read it. And I will make for you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I think so many times I, I'll, I just speak for myself. My natural inclination is to seek my own blessing. My natural inclination is to follow the call that makes me happy. That makes a name for me that appeases me. And here the Lord saying, I'm going to bless you so that like, don't stop there. I'm going to bless you so that you will be a blessing. And then it later says that you will be, you will bless all all the families of the earth. And we know that's pointing to the Messiah that through you, there's going to be a lineage that Christ is going to come and he's going to bless the entire earth because he's going to be the mediator and he's going to call. We've all been extended this call that we can accept by faith. So the challenge is, is this really easy and practical for us? If your call is all about you if your call is all about building up your name, building up your finances, building up your reputation, building up your ego and myself included, that's when we need to have a long, serious talk with the Lord and assess our calling. Our calling, it doesn't line up with scripture that our calling is about us. That's modeled in Christ. Think of a more humbling calling. Christ did nothing that was comfortable for him. He did everything that was comfortable for someone else to bless us. And we're seeing that here. We're seeing the gospel here with Abram, how the Lord is calling. It's, it's the beginning echoes of the gospel. That's going to really form and spell itself out as we read through scripture. Um, Likewise, if you're well, I'll give you guys an example. This is one that I encounter a lot as a worship pastor, and it's a hard one. It's a hard one to uh, understand. Maybe, or I've encountered that it's hard to understand. Is um, so? I've played. I've had the privilege of playing on large stages, and. It's it's cool, but to be totally honest with you, it's really fleeting. Um, and I've I know and I can see um, that desire in people. I've been privileged to be able to experience something and see the lack of fulfillment in it, and therefore it, it's it's really a benefit to me because it kind of destroys an idol that I could easily have if I just never, if I never achieved that idol and I just always thought like that will fulfill me, that will fulfill me. But then when I I had the privilege of experiencing it and realizing how empty it is and it's this great revelation that the Lord has, has gifted me with. And so I even see this as a worship leader to where one of the main things I look out for is you'll, In Christianese, we always, anything we want to do, we always say we're we're called to it. That's just how we talk. And so it's always, I'm called to worship ministry. I'm called to worship ministry. And how I flesh that out is how, what is their goal and who are they trying to serve? And it's really easy to see when someone is about serving themselves and fulfilling maybe the lost dream of being a musician or being up on a stage or playing in a band, whatever it may be. There's so many things that just like you wanted to do that maybe never happened in life and you can see it on people. And I know from this, that if your call is all about fulfilling you and it's about, Oh, I just need this. I need this. I need this. Sorry. <laughs> That's not the call of God. And it's hard to hear and it's really hard to hear. And it's hard to have those conversations to be totally honest with you. But the Lord calls us to what? Bless other people. If you join any ministry, and I know with you guys, I'm speaking to the choir, but if we join a ministry, the goal should be, Hey, you show me where the need is, where I can bless somebody. That's where I want to be. Show me where the hole is. Show me where the gap is. If it's in the background, I don't care. Show me where to be. Those are the people that I latch onto just in worship ministry, which is like my world is because I know like that person has a calling because they're reflecting it in this, in the fact of that they're not about themselves, but they've been blessed to be a blessing. The Lord has given me a musical ear and musical talents. Not so I'm a cool guy, not so that, whatever it is, not so I'm center of attention. He's given it to me that I can use those giftings required to use those giftings to give back to him and bless his people with them. And you all have one. And that would be the, my second challenge is that if you are blessed, find the places that you're blessed. We're all blessed in some way. And that's your first hint. If you're guessing like, I just don't know what my calling is. Where, you, where do you feel like you're blessed? That could be the place that you're to be a blessing. I don't know what it would be. You're a really good listener. You're blessed with, hey, I don't, I'm not impatient. I like listening to people like, hey, be, use it to be a blessing. You are blessed with that gift. A lot of people can't do that. A lot of people, it's a real, real struggle to sit and listen to other people's problems, but you've been blessed with that. You've been blessed with finances. You've been blessed to be a blessing. You've been blessed with certain gifts and traits. You've been given those to be a blessing, not to further your own career, further your own name, but to give and to, to bless others with it. So the three, the last point is that the call of God is to bless others. And in doing this, all these three points is that, the, the call of God is our hope, is our only hope, and our hope is the call of God. The call of God doesn't seek our approval, it just seeks our willingness, and the call of God calls us to bless others. These are all reflected or foreshadows of the good news the good news that we see in the New Testament of Christ coming and standing in our place that we can be called that the Lord has come and stood in our place, which we have communion every Sunday night, that we remember what Christ did. So this call is extended to all of us. And just as Abraham, just as Abram did, it just requires us to have faith in the Lord that he says that he is who he says he is. And that is us believing. They believed in a Messiah that was to come and die and pay for their sins. We believe in a Messiah that did come and pay for our sins. We're saved. It's all, it's all the same. It's all saved by grace through faith. The Lord has shown us grace and it's through faith that we are saved in in trusting in him. So believer again, I'll repeat it. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to do anything else. If you right now feel pressure of some morality that you have to achieve of some elevation that you have to pull yourself up to stop. Go home tonight and relax and sleep well. You don't have to do another thing. It was a free gift that the Lord has given to you. And if you feel like you're not worthy, stop, go home and rest and relax. Well, that you are worthy that this scripture is full of broken men and women. These are not perfect people, but they're broken. They simply had one thing. They had faith in the Lord. They had faith in what he said. And so the same thing is extended to us that Christ has come. He has died for us and stood in our place, clothed us in in his righteousness that he's called us out. So with Abram, this was a physical calling out. I'm calling you out of this, this wicked culture to create a counterculture in you. So how that translates for us is as a spiritual people, he's not calling us. The Lord is not calling us physically out of Newbury park or whatever to go up to a cabin in the mountains and stay there. He's calling us out spiritually. He says, step out from among them spiritually. I'm going to renew you and you're going to be a contrast people that live amongst them. And I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing to the whole earth and extend this good news that he's given to us. And so we are this counterculture that's been called out that's been saved by grace through faith, not of our own works. We didn't do anything. We can't boast about it. Abraham can't boast about it, but it was this free gift to us. And so now it is our main identity. So we're going to see the Israelites being birthed out of Abram. As we go through this story, they're given this Abram turns to Abraham. Sarai turns to Sarah. They're given these new identities. They're, be, they're going to become a people, right? That's what's happening to us. Spiritually. We are becoming, we have be, become as we answer this call by faith, we have become a new people. And it's, it is our first and foremost identity. So we are Christian Republicans. We are Christian Democrats. We are Christian Caucasians. We are Christian blacks. We are Christian Hispanics. We are Christian. Name your thing that you identify with. We are Christian surfers. We are Christian football players, whatever it is. I don't care where you identify with your secondary identity is probably just a hint for you at where your mission field is. Our first identity is now I am Christ. I am his imager, his image bearer. I am this, the living God lives in me. And now I am this mobile and active temple. And he's not calling me, calling me out of, the world that we live in that we're supposed to hide somewhere, but he's saying, this is your first and foremost identity. Now live among these people. So Israelites are going to live where the rest of the world is seeing them. And like, they're not like any of us. What's up with those people. Same thing is that you are to live with Christ being your first and foremost identity in the culture that you're in reflecting him, imaging him so that people would see and become a part of that culture because the call has been issued to them. It's a free gift. They just have to accept it by faith. So he's done all the work for us. Isn't that awesome? I love, I was so happy to get to this. As I was saying in the beginning to get to this, because we've been doing a lot of um, it's profitable. I don't want to downplay it. We've been doing a lot of heady stuff though. And I really think it's important because Genesis The Pentateuch specifically frames how you see the rest of scripture. It's really foundational. It's not just the story of how dirt became dirt. It is so much more that it frames everything. That's why Paul is constantly referring back to the first five books of the Bible. This is the framework. And I know it's a lot of stuff has been heady, but it all then points to the good news of the gospel that we've been called and that we didn't have to work for it and that we can't work for it and that he did all the work and it's a free gift and man what a good savior we have